This episode is brought to you by TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com. TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com is your all access to culture. Check out cultural merchandise like leggings, hats, mini boxing gloves, and bags. Also, t shirts like hip hop, nature, rock bands, reggae, and dark fantasy. Fast shipping worldwide. That's TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com. Now, let's check out this episode. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Cuts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a really special guest. Listen, this man is a living legend when it comes to the dance hall business from in the 60s right up till right now, 2021. You know we have in the building today? We have Dennis Al Capone in the building today. What's going on, Big Boss? Greatest muscles. Yeah, man, I'm here. I'm here. Still going on. Still going on like a, a Duracell battery. I'm going on. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the Entertainment Report podcast today. It's a pleasure, you know, and first of all, I must say I commend you for the work that you are doing, you know, because all these things need to be told. These stories need to be told and you're doing very well so far, you know, by interviewing all these artists that done their work. Wonderful. Thank you so very much. And especially coming from somebody like you that's been in the business so long and you've seen so much, heard so much, been so much, that really means a lot coming from somebody like you. Yeah, thank you too, man. No problem. <laughs> On this program here, what we like to do, we like to take it right from the very beginning and then bring it right up till 2021. So my first question for you is this. Where did you grow up in Jamaica, and what attracted you to music in the first place? Well, Moses, I, I was born in Clarendon, a place called Crooked River District called Culloden. Mm -hmm. And um, I left for Kingston about one year old. When I went to Kingston, I was there for a while before um, 51 Stamp Blue. You know, some people say in the DJ trade, 51 Stamp, them never born. But I was born. <laughs> <laughs> and when I went to Kingston, um, I went to live with my sister. And her living husband, they had um, a gramophone. That's her common-law husband. They had a, gram a gramophone. And I used to play the records on that gramophone. And... That's what really started me loving music, you know, because there were some tracks there that I really loved and I keep playing them, you know. So that's where my first inspiration as a youth started. Started right there. And what type of music was it that you were listening to then that you were playing on the gramophone? Well, those days, it, um, it was 78 records and it was rhythm and blues, um, calypso, all kind of different music at the time that was going on. I can remember one particular musical, Red River Rock. I used to love that music. And there was a one, another one called Bloodshot Eyes. Mm -hmm. I think it, the singer name is Wyoming Harris. Don't roll those bloodshot eyes at me. I used to love those those music, you know, very much so. And, and there was another track with Jackie Wilson called Lonely Teardrops. And what years are we speaking about here where you were listening to all of these type of music? We are talking somewhere in the 50s, you know. In the 50s. Way down there. <laughs> that was in the 50s. Yeah. When I first went to Kingston. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, that that's early because again, that's a, we're talking. Well, you're talking fifties, and we're in 2021. So then, that's a long time ago, boss. Many many moons ago, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> only puff bird food crap, as we would say. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. All right, so then you're there listening, taking in the music and stuff. Was there any point where you decided that you wanted to get involved or you were just actually listening to the music for a long time? No, not really, you know. I was just loving the music. And when in those days, you saw house party. Um, most, most dances was in the house. Mm -hmm. You know, you take out your, your chairs and your tables out the house and... In some cases, people move their bed from out their bedroom, right, to make space for the dancers. Yeah. So whenever there's, there's a party going on and I find myself at that party, I would find myself around the, the turntable spinning the disc, right, because I just love doing that. So whosoever keep the party would say, Dennis, you want to play? And I just make myself into a DJ immediately. <laughs> <laughs> And who were some of the DJs or sound systems that were around at that time there? Well, growing up on Walton Park Road, um, we had a dance hall named 28A Dance Hall. You mm -hmm. saw people like Joe Creed, Coxon, King Edwards, mm -hmm. Sir Mike the Musical Dragon, Count Bells the President. And all those sounds, Prince Buster, the voice of the people, all those sounds used to come there and play. And I was just living about two minutes away from there, right? So I would just walk up to the dance hall, get a whiff of the curry goat that is cooking in the dance hall because them curry goat, them days of breaking, trust mm -hmm. me. <laughs> nice. Mm -hmm. And them carry a wicked aroma, you know? So we would stay there until um, the, the, the sounds string up and they start playing. You know, I used to have some of the guys, them used to come and show legs, you know, dance. We used to call it showing legs because those days it was, um, scare music was playing. Yes. There was a lot of dancers out there entertaining the, the crowd on, on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. So scar was really the order of the day at that time there? Yes, it was mostly scare because, you know, we were coming, coming away from the rhythm and blues because uh, we used to listen to... Um, the big songs playing American rock and roll, rhythm and blues. Mm -hmm. But we started our own music at the time. You know, we had the scatterlights playing some some wicked instrumental and the rest of the artists and that was singing in the early days, like Owen Gray, Larry Lakin, Derek Morgan, Prince Buster, and all those artists, you know. It was really good time, you know. It was the early beginning of, of the music, you know, so it was wonderful. For sure. And when did you meet Lizzie and Samuel the first? Well, Lizzie, Lizzie is um is Jamis DJ, you know, because a lot of people think that Jamis start in the eighties, you know, what Jamis was there from in the sixties. And Lizzie was Lizzie was his DJ. And El Paso used to rule Kingston 13. And there's a guy that um live in Kingston 13 said so that he's gonna bring Jamis to flop El Paso. So oh, we were playing in Kids of 13 yeah. and Lizzie came over with, with, with Jamies playing in, in another venue mm -hmm. and we flopped them. So Lizzie came over to my dance with, with the promoter and that's how I met him. Okay, so then you know what? Let's go back a bit before that then because I thought when, when you and Lizzie 
you guys actually built El Paso together. I didn't realize that this was something he came and joined it after the fact. No, Lizzie wasn't on El Paso, you know. Lizzie was just my friend and he used to come to the dance sometime. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't he wasn't playing on El Paso. He was playing King Jamie's sound at the time. It That's was King crazy. it was Lizzie and a guy named Tony Boggs mm-hmm. that were playing Jamies. You know, and I was playing El Paso along with um Samuel the First. Mm-hmm. How did you even, or why did you even decide to build El Paso in the first place? Well, we got that inspiration from one night a sound came to Brotherton having to play called Kentone. This sound is is from what uh, this sound is from um close by where where you or I live in in the same area, Cockburn Pen, you know, and it have a, he had a DJ called Pompidou. Not the Pompidou that you hear in the 80s. This Pompidou was from then. Mm-hmm. And I watched him DJ that night. And as you know, in the early days, it was one man, you know. It wasn't um, selector and DJ. It was one man doing everything. Okay. P- putting on the, the, the records on the turntable. Uh, as a matter of fact, before that, the one man string up the sound, mm-hmm. climb the tree, put the steel on up, up there, tune up the amplifier, and get the dance started. That's how it used to be. So this guy, Pompadou, right, when he was DJing, I just love how he was DJing because he had he had certain style. Mm-hmm. You know, so I watched him that night. When I wake up the following day, I said to um one of my brethren, I think we should build a sound, you know, because at that time we had the, the um we, we had the, the, the turntable Mm-hmm. and some records, you know, so I said to him, so I think we should build a, build a sound. And Irvin, Irvin is an engineer that later um, worked with Tobies. Irvin was our engineer at the time. So I tell him to ask Irvin to help him to, to, to build the amplifier and I'll buy the records and I'll um, actually buy some more speakers. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started. And why did you name the song El Paso, that name in particular? Well, El Paso inspiration came from, there was a record by um, an artist called Marty Robbins, Mm -hmm. called El Paso. Um, I don't know if you know the record. Down in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's where the name came from. And there was a song at the time in Greenwich Farm named El Toro, right? So you had El Toro, now we name our sound El Paso. Mm-hmm. And you guys, at what type of music were you guys playing? You said, okay, you guys have this sound now. What type of music were you playing at that time? No, we were playing everything, you know. We, we didn't partial where music is concerned. We play everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We play rhythm and blues. We play rock and roll. We play ska. We play everything, you know, to suit the the the, the, um, the, the dance fans, it, you know, because people come on the dance in those days, you know, they like to hold them girl and have a nice rub, mm-hmm. as we call it, you know. Mm-hmm. So we put on some soft tune, mm-hmm. you know, and we step up the dance with some scare, you know. We, we play everything, a variety of music. Mm-hmm. And when did you notice that the song really started to? get big in the area where people are really starting to request this song, El Paso? When I made the, the lyrics one time, El Paso one time, 
Mm-hmm. Right? That that lyrics elevate me and elevate the sound. Mm-hmm. You know, that people was coming to the dance to hear me DJ that 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 um that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where we start getting big. And um I asked my brother to actually stand short if so we could um take some speakers and I purchased those days it was Celestian speakers. Mm-hmm. So we took some twelve inch and build some more box. And this guy that live in, in a place called Steel Lane, mm-hmm. right? Always um asks us to play there on a Sunday. And every Sunday that place is rum. People look forward to that. You know, so from then on the song keep growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. And this is because as you say, because what a lot of people don't understand right now is we're with the word even DJ. So originally the word DJ, how I'm getting to understand it, it came from somebody that was playing music, but then you also had a, a specific style about you. So it wasn't an artist at that time there. A DJ was somebody playing music. Yeah, well, the DJ was there to, to jive the music, you know. We call it yeah. jive talk. You understand? Mm-hmm. When we play the vocal and we lift up the turn t- the, the needle, then we would... Um, put on the flip side of the record or we would just start driving, driving the music and stepping up the tempo, you know, put more energy in the dance. You know, that was our, our job. Mm-hmm. So it was never to be an uh, artist per se. You just did this as a part of the DJ job. No, man, <laughs> far. Mm-hmm. most of that was far from our mind. We didn't think of him going in the studio. You understand? We were just dancehall DJ, you, mm-hmm. you know, because um, we have to get the, the, the um, definition right within dancehall and dancehall music. Mm-hmm. You know, the dancehall is places that we used to play mm-hmm. and make people come and enjoy themselves. That's what we call dancehall. Mm-hmm. Right now, what is like they call um, a genre of music, dancehall music. Well, music play in the dance hall. That's where that's where music play in the dance hall. And that, this was going on from the fifties, mm-hmm. you know. So we didn't set out to be no artists. None of us, me, you, Rai, and and the rest of DJs before us, you know. In my case, a certain producer named Keith Hudson, we call him the Ghetto Dentist. Mm-hmm. He came to Brotherton Avenue to ask me to do a record for him, you know, because I hear that I was mashing up the dance, mm-hmm. you know, and he told me to come down to Dynamics studio the following day, and I went down there and recorded a, a, a song. And it was, you, you know, in those days, people didn't recognize DJs of such, because when I did the, the, the song, Muscle, mm-hmm. I took the, 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 the doublet up to um, my ear at the night and, told some guys that I, I, I made a record. Mm-hmm. And one particular person said to me, what did you do? Did you sing? I said, no. He said, you play an instrument? I said, no. <laughs> so I said, if you're not a singer, you don't play an instrument. Oh, you make record. He said, we call it DJing, you know? Yeah. Right? He said, DJing? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, it's a, it's a form of talking. He said, man can't talk for music. So, <laughs> well, that's how, that's how far ago that was muscle. People didn't know much about DJing. All when you I come and mash up the place, mm-hmm. you have a whole lot of people still didn't know what DJ music was all about. 
so I think that it seems like the original vision was somebody like a Keith Hudson. He's seen what you were doing in the parties and he just wanted to bring what you're doing in the party to a wider massive so it could go on the radio and stuff. Like that. So instead of a hundred people enjoying it, 2000 people could enjoy it all at the exact same time in his mind. It almost seems like that was his intention. Quite right. And another thing to that, that, um, I'll, Propel him to do that is um, Uri making his first record for him, a record called Dynamic Fashion Way. Okay. Uri record that record for, for um, producer Keith Hudson. Mm-hmm. And when Uri left and went to Treasure Isle, I think he wanted a replacement. So that's the reason why he came and looked for me because he, he heard about me mashing up the dance over there in Kingston 30. Mm-hmm. You know, and I did. Um, a record for him called Maca Version. Mm-hmm. And then I did Spanish Amiga, followed by The Sky's the Limit, Shade, Shades of Hudson, and quite a few more tracks. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, then I left Keto and went to Studio One. Studio One. Okay. okay. Yes, so um, then how did the Keith Hudson song do for you? Did they get you any traction or anything, or that was just your entry into the into actually DJing at this time here now. Yes, that was an, an, an entry into the musical arena. Thanks to him, may God rest his soul because he's passed away. Mm-hmm. But Keith Hudson was a good producer and he was a good good person, you know, and but he's the one who introduced me in the musical arena. And um, I respect him for that 100%, mm-hmm. you know, because he's the one who started my career. When I record okay. those songs, I record as Dennis Smith, which is my right name. When I went to Studio One, I tell um, Coxon to call me Al Capone, Dennis Al Capone, because that was my street name. Oh, that was your street name? Oh, I got you. Yes, that was my street name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got that name one night. I went to Majesty Theatre to watch a, a, a film called... Um, it was an Al Capone film with Rod, Rod Steger. And um, on our way home, I was kind of cloning around Someone said, look what's going on like Al Capone, right? And the, the names just stick on me from the early. The following day, I wake up with the name, Al Capone. Crazy. As simple as that, you know. <laughs> crazy, crazy, until you have it to this day. Okay, so then now you're saying you, Roy, was the first person to actually DJ on a record and produce a record. And were you the second or there were people after you, Roy, before you came into the fold? No, Uri wasn't actually the first um, person that DJ on a record, you know, because before Uri, you had Count Machuki, mm-hmm. you had King Stitch, mm-hmm. you had King Sporty, you had quite a lot of Sir Lord comic, you have a whole heap of DJ that, that made record long before Uri. Okay. Right, but Uri, Uri made his first record late 60s, mm-hmm. you know, but there's quite a bit of DJs, a batch was, was, was there before him. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, Count Machuki, King Stitch, Sir Lord Comic, King Sporty, all those guys was there before you were and myself. But I guess you were was the one that made it popular. Right, right. King Stitch had a, a big hit with a song called Vigatan 2. Mm-hmm. And um I am the ugly one. Mm-hmm. Quite a few one. Fire Corner was a big seller for him for clan circles, mm-hmm. you know. But Ura is the one who come and actually turn the thing in, in, into a, a, a genre, a DJ genre. 
you know, because the way how we um, demonstrate his lyrics, the way how he write the rhythm, the way how he, he could combine with, with, the, um, with the singers, that was great. You know, and that turned the whole thing around. Because the first set of DJs, then they would mostly introduce the dance and, and um, advertise about where the next dance is going to be, mm-hmm. tell you who is singing the record, mm-hmm. and they would do a little on the record. They, that was their style. Mm-hmm. You know, but when UI came, now everything changed. Mm-hmm. You know, when they did um, Wake the Town and Tell the People, Yes. You know, we just wake up one morning listening to a new sound. Mm-hmm. You know, Uri and Joe Creed Treasure Isle Rhythm. It was a, a version of Alton Ellis, Girl I've Got a Date. Mm-hmm. So at this time, he had left Tubbies already at this time here when he recorded that song. No, he didn't leave Tubbies, you know, because Tubbies is the one who told Mr. Reed about Uri mm-hmm. and, and also John Holt mm-hmm. that told, told um, Joe Creed about Uri. You know, but he was still at Tubby's playing Tubby's sound. Mm-hmm. You know, but Tubby's used to cut the dubs them, and you were used to DJ on them in the, in the dance. You know, and I think John Holt went to the dance one night and hear you were um, toasting over one of his his rhythm, mm-hmm. and told Mister Reed about him and and Joe Reed sent for him, and the rest is history. Crazy. Crazy. Okay, so then now you are, he's out there, he does his song. So what was your journey like to get to Studio One? How did you get to the Clement Dad at this time here now? Well, as a DJ, um, just like you I, you I were playing King Tubbies and I were playing El Paso. Mm-hmm. And the word got around that I was a very good DJ as well. You know, so like I say, um Keith Hudson came for me and started me off. Mm-hmm. With, with those records and those records was going into the record shop then even in, in Coxon record shop Coxon used to have a record shop on Orange Street called Music City mm-hmm. so when Keith Austin took the record them there Miss Dad would, would hear me and I don't know but they got to like my style and when I went to Studio One Mr. Dad um, asked me to do a version of Larry Marshall, Nanny Goat. Mm. So I did that track and it did well. Mm-hmm. And we just started working from there. Okay, when you got to Studio One, which other artist was actually at Studio One already at that time, or did you meet at Studio One? Well, at that time, the Studio One was, was the um, the Motown of, of, of reggae, you know. All the big artists were there, you know, people like John Holt, um, Eptones, Delroy Wilson, Delroy Wilson just just left. Bob Marley didn't just leave as well mm-hmm. because they were saying for lack of payment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you had a whole party that was there. You have um, you had Freddie McKay. Mm-hmm. You had a young Dennis Brown. When I I reached here just before Dennis Brown, okay, and um, Freddie McKay, um, Sleepy or Sandy. Mm-hmm. All of those artists were, 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 were there because at that time there was an exodus of artists that, that was leaving Coxon, right? And they would go to record for people like Bonnie Lee mm-hmm. and other producers, you know, because people were, were leaving because they said of lack of payment. Okay. 
in those times there. So it was it was a money issue from back then. So they figured the other competition was like Duke Reed and other producers at that time, they're Bunny Lee and those guys. Yes, there was a big competition going on with all those um, producers, you know, because um, I tell you, one day I, I walk into Randy's uh, record shop mm-hmm. at Parade and Bob Marley was leaning, down, was leaning down on the counter. So it was me and Lizzie. Me and Lizzie walk into the shop. Mm-hmm. Bob Marley was, was laying on the, on, on the counter with his, his back to the counter. And when we walk past him, he, 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 he passed a remarks and say, all who boy, who know fair work for Coxon, you know, right? If everybody will work for Coxon, for DEAD, and if I go on away. So I said to Lizzie, listen to Bob, you know? So we walk past him now and, and go further up to where the, um, the LP record rack is, and we were lamenting amongst ourselves and saying, why Bob really upset with Studio One? Mm-hmm. And anyway, on our way back out, Bob, Bob showed to me and said, Al Capone, and, and there I, we are talking about, but not for work for Coxie, you know, because I'm a thief. Well, we said, Mr. Bob, listen, mm-hmm. me a DJ, you know, right? You ride your treadmill, and him they in a good stable with some good ass there. So me have to find a stable with the ne- next next stable we have some good ass tonight. And the two big stables at the time was treadmill and, and Coxon. Mm-hmm. So I went to Coxon because of the rhythms them that Coxon have. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you can't ride donkey in a horse race, you know, you have to get <laughs> some, 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 some good horse to ride. You understand? Mm-hmm. So that was my reason for going to Coxon. That's what I was explaining to him. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is what it is. You know, I'm a DJ mm-hmm. and Coxon have the rhythm then. And that was it. And was there any other DJs at Studio One at this time here when you got there? Well, King Sis was there, you know, and um, yeah, King Sis was there, but King Sis, you know, I mean, he's a different type of DJ, mm-hmm. right? But, but, but when I went there, I was the one that was really um, riding the rhythm, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I remember one morning. I went to Studio One and Leroy, Leroy simply said to me, um, why didn't a DJ come here last night for only foot at you know? Mm-hmm. Say, eh? He said, yeah, man, a DJ from Spanish Town. Him come record a tune last night. Mm-hmm. So he said, I wonder which DJ is that. Anyway, it turned out to be Prince Jasbo. Mm-hmm. Right? But this was long after I was there. Jasbo come and he did a song called Crab Walking. Mm-hmm. And the um, Oris and the Skylarking with him. Mm-hmm. Big right there. So he was the next DJ that came into the fold. But this was a while while you're at Studio One at this time here already. You already basically established as a DJ at Studio One, and he came in after the fact. Well, I, I left to go on tour 1973 to England. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, my first. Um, Venture out of Jamaica was Guyana, really, 1971, with the Boris Gardner happening. Boris Gardner um, consists of um, Paul Douglas, mm-hmm. Lester Sterling. Um, it was quite a few big names in the band at the time. Larry MacDonald, 
Tinga mm-hmm. Stewart was the, the, the lead singer at the time for Barstar oh. You know, okay. that was my first venture out of Jamaica. Guyana, we used to call it British Guyana at the time. Mm-hmm. And then, then they get independence and they just call it Guyana. But that's what my first move. Got back to Jamaica and I got a call, 73, to go to England. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember one day I was at Orange Street by Bonnelly Record Shop, me and Slim Smith. Mm-hmm. And Coxon did tell me to come the Friday for my royalty statement. Mm-hmm. So I said to Keith that I'm, I'm, I'm going by the one now. So, so Slim said to me, um, Dennis, you can't drop me up the road. So I said, no problem, man. That me have a, I had a little car at the time. So I carried him up the, up, up the road, drop him off at, at a bar, and he invited me to come and have a drink with him. But I said, Skitty, I don't, I don't want to stop, you know, because when Katzen say you for come, if you know, I don't give no excuse <laughs> not to pay me. So I have to go him. So I must come up this evening. Mm-hmm. So I dropped off Slim, went to Studio One. When I went there, um, Coxon asked the, 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 the accountant to bring out my royalty statement. Mm-hmm. When he brought out the statement, Coxon looked look at the statement and said to him, Jackson, where you do? You give me my money. So the guy said, but Sir Dad, you asked me for Al Capone's statement. This is the statement. Mm-hmm. He said, no, give you give my money. And he looked at me and said, Jackson, come back Monday, right? I'm going to start out your, your, your reality statement. Mm-hmm. When I went back Monday, he fired, fired the accountant, mm-hmm. sack him. Mm-hmm. On my way going down to Studio One the Monday, I, I was listening to my radio in the car, mm-hmm. and I read an announcement that Sim Smith is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, and I felt so bad because I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I stop and have a drink with him? Probably I could yeah. make a difference. You understand? Instead of going to Studio One, because Studio One, I never get my money. You know, Coxner tell me I'm with a foolishness about the guy I give. And it was only 200 Jamaican dollars at the time. Even though a Jamaican dollar was big at the time. Mm-hmm. Because it used to be two Jamaican dollars to one English pound, you know. So, him just feel like $200 was a lot of money for me. So, that, that was a story with, with, with Studio One, and I left now 73 for England. Mm-hmm. And so I, from that day, I started traveling backward and forward to, to England because um, when I finished my tour in England, 73, I went back to Jamaica, and some promoters sent for the Jamaica Showcase, mm-hmm. which consists of me, Dennis Brown, um, a guy called Al Brown, Sly, Slide that time Sly was playing with, with, with um Light Parks as 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 his bass man. The band band was called Skin Flesh and Bone. Okay, so this Light. was before Sly and Robbie. Yeah, it was Sly Sly and Light Parks because um they they were playing in, 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 in a club on the Reddit's Road called Tit for Tat. Mm-hmm. So they were they were a resident band in that club. And the name of the band was Skin Flesh and Bone. Mm-hmm. Also on that tour was um, the Metals, um, Cynthia Richards. You know, so it was a big package going into England. It was called the Jamaica Showcase. That was a, a young Dennis Brown. The first time Dennis Brown is flying out of Jamaica as well. Wow. 
and you're on the show and he's he's basically the youngest one out of all of you guys going on this tour to England. Yes, because I can tell you another um part of it. So when when Dennis Brown came to Studio One, I was actually the one looking after him. Because Dennis Brown had made a song for Derek Harriet called Lips of Wine. Mm-hmm. And um uh, it, 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 his name wasn't established yet. So when he came to Studio One, mm-hmm. I I was there before him and I was I always have a, a, a little um, couple of dollars in my pocket, you know, so because um, I need to eat and whatever. And I would buy lunch with Dennis at the time. You know, our lunch is fancy for one, one chop and spirit bone, yeah. a Pepsi, and we're nice. You understand? <laughs> right? So that, this was a continuous thing. And anyway, I go, I used to take Dennis Bone with me as a youth, you know, we, we used, I used to carry my um, Kingston 13, Walton Park Road, here, Burlington Avenue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes me and him and the Eptones would drive out and go to the, the, the driving cinema out by Arborview. Mm-hmm. And we were just um, friends, you know, going everywhere. You know, so when I came to England with him in 1974, you know, I was more or less like a, a, a guardian to him, mm-hmm. you know. But That's crazy. It, what what actually um give him the spark now is when he did the song called No Man Is an Island, a studio mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. right? And Alton did write a tune for him to call If I Follow My Heart, you know, because Alton had a nice circle guitar there, and Dennis Brown would borrow the guitar and ask Alton to show him a, a few cards and thing, and Alton would show him. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes Alton would come looking for his guitar and can't find it. You know, and he, was, he would just shout, where's that little boy? <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's then it's habit. And when, when, um, when Sleepy Harris and he came to, mm-hmm. you know, Harris did a, a, a song called You Got to Be Sure for a Woman's Love. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that elevated him as well. You know, and he, he used to borrow the guitar sometime from Dennis and strump it, you know. Mm-hmm. But these are really early days in, in, in the business. In the business. Okay, so before we even get to you going to UK, because I know there's a lot of stuff that happened before you even got there. What was your first hit you got out of Studio One? Is that song called Nanny Version? Mm-hmm. Okay, so right. it's the first song you recorded became a hit. Yes, yes. Because i tell you something. Mm-hmm. When I record that song... I went downtown one evening and one of my friends drove up on a van mm-hmm. and I asked him if he's going my way and he says yes. So I said, um, I asked him for a lift. I jump in the van, in, in the back of the van with, with some with him some Americas them. And I heard this guy talking, mm-hmm. saying, You hear you write new record? Mm-hmm. So by this time I don't know what record he's talking about. So anyway, he said to the guys, him, you write new record, but it's called nanny version, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm there thinking to myself, wait, mm-hmm. this guy hear the record already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said to the guy, this is the new, new tune where you write make, nanny version, but that was my, my song, mm-hmm. right? But I didn't make them no wiser. I just sit there and enjoy the ride home, mm-hmm. right? So... 
that tune was a was a hit from day one, you know, because it was on um the nanny goat with him with, with Larry and Alvin. So at this time here, were you were they basically setting up the business for you and you Roy to be rivals? That's what was really going on at at that time there? No, not really, you know. You were I was doing this thing and I was doing my thing. Mm-hmm. You understand? The only one who actually tried to do that was Bonnie Lee later on. Mm-hmm. You were I was in England. Bonnie Lee decided to um record you were in England and you were I there song called um, no, the lyrics in that song was saying, my name is not Al Capone, but I can tip up them tone and crack them bone. Right? So that was like a, a swipe at me still, but I didn't pay no mind because you is, is a DJ that I respect highly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't actually throw back any words. I throw some little slight punches still when I says, like, um, you said you are the best, but when I'm around, you're the second best. And if you don't believe it's true, all you got to do is try I. But those are some little <laughs> shots, some little one-away shots, you understand? But yeah. I didn't put him on as any tracing kind of thing, like, no. But it, it's just it's just more like, he's a DJ, you're a DJ now doing your thing. So there's going to be little jabs here, little jabs here. And you guys are both at the top of your game at this time here, so... There's also there's always gonna be a little a little vibes, nothing too disrespectful or anything like that. Yes, yes, that's that's just normal. Mm-hmm. It's normal. You know, but I I personally mm-hmm. did not have no hard feelings towards Uri, trust me, because Uri is a DJ that I respect highly. Um little shots will show, few arrows will fly, mm-hmm. you understand? But nothing not nothing aimed to cause any damage for sure you know we were just doing our thing you were doing his thing i think the only time a little um thing kind of come in is um while i was at studio one joe creed engineer sent and called me mm-hmm. his name is byron smith that was it joe creed engineer he sent and called me to do a song for him this was a version of um barbed wire with Nora dean Mm-hmm. That record belongs to him, Bob Weir. So he called me to do a version of it. So I went to Joe Creed and do a version of that one. That was a success as well. You know, so he didn't put my name on the record because um, I was at Studio One at the time. Mm-hmm. So what he called me on the record was El Paso. You know, so that record came out there. Um, it, it's Mosquito One record. Mm-hmm. El Paso is got on, on it as, as the artist, you know, but that was me still, you know, because I used to play the song El Paso. Mm-hmm. A lot of people used to call me Paso at the time. Mm-hmm. So he put El Paso on the record. So he didn't want to put your name because he feels like he's... We didn't want to upset. Got you. Okay. But I thought they were, I thought they were competitors in the first place where Duke Reed and Coxin was over here. They were competitors. Yes, but um, that was before. That was when when they had a sound system going. They were more rival, mm-hmm. you know. But later on, they kind of cooled down with yeah. the rivalry. They're just doing their one thing, mm-hmm. you know. One other thing, one other thing that kind of kicked them off again too was Alton Ellis made a, a lovely album for Joe Creed mm-hmm. and went back to Cass and did the same album all over and cast another riff between them as well. You know, but apart from that, they were big people 
mm-hmm. and they knew they knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. so they didn't make it bother them it, anyway. You know, who did you at this time here in your career when you have these songs out? Were you still playing El Paso, or you just now turned into a overnight recording artist type of thing? Yes, I was easy now for the El Paso thing, you know, because as, as I tell you about the, the um, incident earlier, and there was a lot of other little niggling incidents that um, I felt uncomfortable about. So I didn't want to stay in a situation where I felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So recording kind of take me away from, from, from the sound, sound thing. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm just recording and touring, mm-hmm. you know, so I can take, take myself away from El Paso. Joe Queen actually sent called me this time now to record for Treasure Isle. Mm-hmm. And I went down there and do a, a song called Teach Your Children. Mm, it was a big, big hit. Big you know, and, uh, yeah, when I did that song, I remember when I come downstairs, because the studio's upstairs, mm-hmm. Sarid was waiting downstairs and he, he gave me a bungle of five shilling notes. It was pound shilling and pence at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? And he gave me this, this bungle of five shilling. He didn't give me 10 shillings, he didn't give me one pound, pure five shilling, right? To make it look enough. So anyway, I was over the moon because um, I didn't know that the record would be such a hit. Mm-hmm. But it was really a big hit at the time because it was number one on, on RGR and number one on JBC, two stations we had at the time in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. You know, so from from there now, I started working with Joe Creed. And Cox not at the same time, but most of Joe Creed now. Mm-hmm. Because Uri wasn't there anymore. Uri went to England. You know, and I'm sure, like you say, some little feeling would come there. Mm-hmm. Because I was watching Uri in an interview. And I heard him say, um, some of his friends, them tell him that, how oh, comes Dennis Al Capone just gone to Treasure Isle? And then the Sal Capone is driving car and you are only riding a bike. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So he, he said that um, he told them that you can't cook in your car, you can't live in your car. So it's a house he want. Mm-hmm. So he tell Mr. Reed he want a house and Juke gave him a house. Right? But what they did not know mm-hmm. that Juke didn't buy me in the car. I drove to Treasure Island. Right, because my, my my trade that I used to do was welding. You know, so I used to work in the garage. You know, so I, I had access to cars. And I later on buy a little car from one of my friends. This car is a, a car called Angler, a Ford Angler. Right, so I had that um, car when I when I go to Treasure Isle. But they, they thought it was Mr. Reed buy me the car. Mr. Reed never buy me not even a bicycle. <laughs> so it, that was total nonsense. <laughs> but you see, sometimes it's not the artists that get involved. It's the people around them that has something to say. And then the artist is going to feel like they, they're obligated to say something because people are saying something now. Yeah, man. All the time it goes like that, man. It's not the, it's not the artist. Them. It's, 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 it's the, the entourage or whoever is in their corner telling them the wrong, the wrong things. You understand? That was far from the truth. Muscles. I had my car and I drove my car to Treasure Island. Joke with Joke with one of them give me couldn't even buy a bicycle, as I say. <laughs> you know, and they are having to say that um you right, look how long you there at Treasure Island, look how much big record you make for Joke with, and you're you still a ride bike. Mm-hmm. You understand? 
Nothing like that. How did Zinger, when you started to record for Treasure Isle now, Duke Reed, how did how did Clement feel at that time there, Mr. Dad's? Because now you're over here giving him the hits. How did he feel? Because again, as you said, the money wasn't really running. He wasn't really paying the way you figured he should have been paying the royalties at that time. So how did he feel? You're not over here putting out hits over here. Well, most of, to be honest with you, I don't know how he felt at the time, you know, because mm -hmm. if, if he was not a man, we, we, we express himself them kind of way. You understand? Mm -hmm. But he was to pay me no money. You know, I, I did an album for him called Forever Version. Mm -hmm. And I'll know I don't get a dime for that album. The time when I went for my royalty, it was for the album. Mm -hmm. And he told me that um, the guy is giving away his money. You understand? And I was a comeback. But I left for England. Mm -hmm. So I never really go back there until the next time I saw Caxon was when he moved to Brooklyn, New York. Mm -hmm. And I went there to look for him. And he gave me 12 albums and a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we as artists, you know, we 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 we've been through it all, you know. But we love the music. We're in it for the love of the music, not for the money of the music. We love the music. You know what because I mean? I don't think anybody... Did anybody explain the business to you at that time there, or you just came in to record and you figured that was it? Nobody tells nothing. Nobody. We didn't know about performing rights, mechanical copyrights. We didn't know nothing. Mm -hmm. When I... There was a, a, a man that dealing with the performing rights and the mechanical copyrights somewhere downtown. Mm -hmm. someone, someone did tell me about him. And I went there, when I had number one song in Jamaica, I went down to him and tell him that I have the number one song and I want to register. He tell me that I can't register because um, I need to have six records in the chart before I can register, which that was bulls. Mm -hmm. You understand? He was robbing up the money, taking away all our money because we, we were ignorant towards the fact. We didn't know uh, oh, oh, anything about performing rights or mechanical copyrights. So... He, he was screaming it. You know, all of the artists, they rob everybody, that man. Wicked man. That's so crazy, especially going into something where you love it and you figured, okay, it's going to be enjoyable. Everybody's going to do their part. I'm going to get paid or whatever the case is. And then for it to come down with this, that's really the hard part right there. Yeah, man, it's terrible, man. People just exploit us, you know, because of our ignorance. They just exploit us. We just, we're just naive. All we want to do is just make record mm -hmm. and go out and enjoy ourselves. You know, we weren't thinking that um, being millionaires from, from recording. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know that people abroad was, was aware of me. You understand? All I was looking at was Jamaica. I didn't know that all records was going abroad and making waves mm -hmm. in different parts of the world. No idea. None at all. Who did when you record... Okay, so when I England and, and did my first show and hear people singing my records, I, I was astonished. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know that this this was happening. What were your big songs when you got to England? So much of them. Mm -hmm. Number one station, Al Capone Guns Don't Argue, mm -hmm. Teach Your Children, Wake Up Jamaica. L listen, mostly I used to um Turning out seven, five to five every week, you know. 
7.45 every week. Mm-hmm. You understand? So that's how music was coming out. Mm-hmm. I made over 100 and odd singles. In Before a short period of time. time. And we're talking about this was like in a three-year span you had made all of this music. I would say about three years, roughly. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And who did you record um, DJ's Choice for? Joe Creed, Treasure Isle. How did you come up with that one there? Well, it's to combine the, the, the effort of the rest of DJs, them, you know. Right? Because, well, daddy, oh, this is DJ's choice. So, brothers and sisters, why is your choice, you know? So, you or I would say, chickabo, chickabo. I or I would say, a tillibop, tillibop. And Lizzie would say, you got to eat this pot. Scotty would say, you better draw your break. So, it's a phrases from the DJs of the time. You know, that's why I come up with, 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 with those lyrics. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you something better than that. To be honest with you, I went to play um, Ruddy's one night in Spanish town. Mm-hmm. You know, Ruddy's a very big song, you know, from Spain town, you know. And um, we had a clash one night over there. And I actually killed him the night. I was just the, the David and Ruddy's was the Goliath. Mm-hmm. And I used one father five song. Mm-hmm. And take the dance tonight, right? But his DJ is a DJ called Mango. Mm-hmm. Mango is the first one I, I, I heard um, uttering those lyrics. Okay. You know, and it, it's sticking my mind. So when I went back to um, Kingston, went back to Studio One, I mean, to Treasure Isle, I, I, um, I heard a rhythm there that the, the tune fit. Mm-hmm. So I just record it. DJ's choice. Mm-hmm. I had I had quite a bit of lyrics to it, but the idea mm-hmm. was a brother called Mango from Spanish Town. Mm-hmm. Me and I become good friends later on, you know, because she did murder him the night there. <laughs> <laughs> right? We become friends. You understand? Yeah. But I was just the little um David, as I said, God, Rod is our big sound, and Rod is our all of the Dublin. Mm-hmm. I don't see another sound of dubs like Rod is. Hmm. Crazy. And how much did you record an album for Duke Reed? Yeah, man, I, I record um, Soul to Soul DJs, Chase, with me and Lizzie. Okay. Because Lizzie was my friend, now, you know, I used to take you with me to Treasure Isle, mm-hmm. you know, and um, he, he would record a few tracks. I think the first track he went on was a Freddie Mackey, Love is a Treasure mm-hmm. track. Yeah, but um, he, he, he was a part of that album, DJ's Choice. That was the album I recorded for Jake Reed. Because what I found at that time there, especially with the genre so new, they never made any original rhythms or beats for you guys. They were always, you guys would sing over whatever was already existing. So wh- whoever had a track, they would sing a bit, and then you guys would come jump in. It was never nothing new for you guys in particular. Yeah, well, that was the whole idea of DJ business, you know, because um, th- that collaboration that, that we used to do in that time, that was the whole idea because we used to play those songs in the dance hall. Mm-hmm. You know, so when the, 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 the artist, the singer sing a, a verse, you know, we would think about what to come next to that verse to 
actually elevate that music. You know, so we, we are, it's like we get rehearsals in the dance hall in, 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 in the nights. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a lot of my records, I did them in the dance, mm -hmm. you know, and see how the, the crowd react. And so I, I, I go to the city and ask the, the, the engineer for those rhythms mm -hmm. and do some recording. Yeah, that's how that come about. Just like there. And okay, you had some, you spent some time over with um, Duke Reed now. So then you said the money situation was a bit better than when you got to Coxin, but then it wasn't really 100% at all. So then now, did you get to Perry after this or this was in between the same fact? Well, Coxon was a no payment thing, you know, mm -hmm. right? It, it's, it happened that later on at Treasure Isle, I started getting, me and Lizzie started getting pay weekly, okay. like we're doing nine to five. Mm -hmm. You know, so instead of we're getting money from a, a particular record, we were getting our weekly wages. Got you. You, you know, and Joe could asked us to do some errand for him and things like that, you know? So we, we were more... Um, Stable at Jokery, Treasure Island. Mm -hmm. I do recording for every producer in Jamaica, mm -hmm. apart from Derek Harriet and, and Harry J. Every producer, because in those days, people didn't take DJ work very serious in a muscle, mm -hmm. right? They didn't take the DJ thing very serious, you know. A man just want to hear you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. him just record it, him don't care what else you say afterward. You know, because that thing, that was the, the thing at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's the reason why I could go and do 745 for one week, different producers. Yeah. You understand? Because the DJ thing was fresh. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted a piece of it. Because when, when the producers go into the studio, they used to have to um, carry musicians, make the rhythm, pay the musicians. Some, some would anyway. Some some musicians will get a a, a little thing, mm -hmm. right? They would have to buy the the the, um, the 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 time from the studio, which they would buy an hour, sometimes two hours. That is the independent producers. Them apart from Joku, Joku and Cats at their own um, studio. Mm -hmm. But people like Bonnie Lee, Scratch Lee, Scratch Perry, um, Joe Gibbs, and a, a lot of the others them. They didn't have no studio, so they have to go and buy time, you know. So it, it, it was a very good thing when DJ business come. Mm -hmm. All they have to do is care about their, 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 their tape that they um, already record and put it on. And the DJ would go on, go on it and they got a, a next record from, from their, their, um, their, 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 their tape that they, they, they paid how much money to, to make before. You know, so it, it was very cheap to do DJ records at the time for them. You know, financial they was they were better off because you could do more in less of a space, and you don't need to do all of the stuff you did to actually get the singing record or the original record in the first place. Exactly. You know, they just put on run the tape, mm -hmm. and we just go on the mic and do whatever we we feel like doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not a big thing. They just want to hear um. We shouting or, or whatever, you know, and it was it was brand new mm -hmm. to everybody years. So that was the thing at the time, you know. You didn't 
have to sit down and pen lyrics. You know, you just did what come into your head at the time. They call it head tap. Crazy. That's so crazy just to even think about that. Bunny Lee now. How did you meet Bunny Lee and connect with him and start recording with Bunny Lee? Well, Bunny Lee was situated on Orange Street, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot remember the first meeting. And he was also living in Greenwich Farm. You know, Derek Morgan used to be down there with him. Slim Smith, Roy Shirley, and quite a few artists were, were there with him. But um, my brother, yeah, that was it. My brother had a club mm-hmm. in Greenwich Farm, right? So I went down to Greenwich Farm a few times. And I think that's that's where I, I, I met Bonnie Lee, mm-hmm. you know. And um, Bonnie Lee is the kind of guy where he, he was one of us. You understand? We could sit and joke and talk all kind of different things. And, you know, we could get together and have a good time, have a drink or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, Bonnie used to have a car that he used to drive around. You know, and sometimes Bonnie would lend me the car and me go pick up a girl or so. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> we were like that. You know, so that's how I really um, met Bonnie and started recording for him. I did Al Capone Guns Don't Argue for him. I also did um, It Must Come, a version of Better Must Come. Mm-hmm. Stick by me with John Holt, called Jumping Jack, rather. And the album I did for him called King of the Track. Big, big, big. Because what I know with a lot of your album covers at that time there, it was almost like a real gangster type of vibe that time there because your name is Al Capone, Dennis Al Capone, so you can't really have flowers and girls. So it was always like a gun, a cannon, something on the covers. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't really mean not, 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 nothing. Them don't mean, not, mean nothing in them days muscles. Trust me. It, it was just gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Um, also did Al Capone Guns Don't Argue for him. And I remember when I was going to do that album um, picture, Bonnie Barrow um, some guns from scratch because scratch had some some guns around here that he put on the, the soul rebel album bob marley soul rebel album okay let's use all those um imitation guns on that album so bunny knew, knew that scratch had, had those guns so he borrowed the gun them and give me and i put them in my pocket right to look like a gangster mm-hmm. but it was just gimmicks really you know no, you figure that much because it, it was never, your lyrics were never really gangster lyrics. It's just you were doing whatever the name was, so you had to have the same image to go with the name. Dennis Al Capone, so you got to look the role. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was it. That was nothing serious. You know, because Al Capone goes on, don't, goes on, guy says, I'm a defender, not an offender. Mm-hmm. And I'll make all bad guys surrender. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so it, it was just, um, it was... DJ, DJ stuff, you know, driving, as we say, you know, drive talk. Yeah. You know, didn't didn't mean nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Totally, totally agree with that one there. Another big song you had, because again, you have over a hundred, over a hundred singles in like less than three years. So you have a massive amount of songs. Another one that I liked and was a big song too was My Voice is Insured for Half a million. million. Yes. How did you come <laughs> up with that there? Yeah, I want to tell you something better than that, Moses. It was Joe Creed idea, you know. 
Okay. Duke, yeah, that was Duke with idea to, to say that my voice is in show for half a million dollars. You know, it was my idea, really. You know, because sometimes the, the, the producers, they, they have an input to, you know. Mm-hmm. And they would they would tell you what to say. You know, so that phrase was coined by um, Juke Reed. Mm-hmm. Recently, I was watching an a interview with a D- DJ. Mm-hmm. And this DJ is saying that Dennis Al Capone and Uri... Dennis Al Capone and you right, Dennis Al Capone, baby, baby out the thing, and you right, chicka bow out the thing. I don't know why people want to pop down other people to build up themselves, because to be honest with you, mm-hmm. DJ thing come about driving, drive talk, you drive the music, make people enjoy themselves in the dance hall. Mm-hmm. It was a preaching thing. It was love thing. Mm-hmm. I growing up listening to love songs, with people talking about baby, darling, or whatever, because he's a girl's man. We love girls, mm-hmm. you understand? Me not going to make no, no record at all about man. Mm-hmm. Me not going to make record at all about girls and baby, baby and all, and whatever. So I don't see why man shouldn't have popped them people carry off to talk about. Uriah was one of the greatest DJ, and he's still one of the greatest DJ ever to come. Uriah is the one who make us all know that we could make records. Mm-hmm. Uriah is that man. Right, so I don't know why people are saying all these things that you are a chick above it out and Dennis Al Capone, baby, baby. It was a thing at the time. Mm-hmm. We are DJs, DJ was designed to drive the music, that's what DJ was there for. Mm-hmm. Nothing else, you understand? So let the people decide. You don't come on the thing and talking about you are this and Dennis Al Capone, that no man, hold your space and make the people decide about you, me, or you, right? Mm-hmm. We had a lot of good DJs that came out in Jamaica in that time. People like Jasbo, Irai, Scotty, even though Scotty was more gimmicks still, but we were there to do our thing. So that, that was nice. I hear the same DJ say, it's him kind of phrase, love is lovely and war is ugly. So you make love and not war. No, it's not you. It was there before me. It was there before even you, right? Okay. That lyrics was always a DJ lyrics. That comic said it. Count Machuki said it. Mm. King Stitch said it. So how come you come now and saying that is you kind of phrase? Love is lovely and war is ugly. No, Bridget, I know you. It did it long before you even think about music. Mm-hmm. That's a DJ phrase. And the reason why we use it most of the time is if there is a little flaring up in the dance mm-hmm. and people want to um, fight or anything, would, would take the mic and say, love is lovely and war is ugly. So make love and not war, because if you make war, you'll have to stay far. Mm-hmm. You understand? That's what it was used for. So don't come and tell people about this you kind that phrase. You come long after that phrase was made. Other people think that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me, my own. It wasn't you, right? It was people before us. So... I put that record straight. Yeah. You know, it's again, it's a lot of, there's a lot of misnomers and misinformation that's out there, especially when it comes to music. Because again, when you lived the life and you were actually the one in the studios and around, you know what really happened. Somebody would just come tell us something and we're just, okay, we guess that's how it goes. But 
when you live the life, you know the real truth about what really happened. Quite right, muscles. You know, there's a lot of second-hand information out there, you know. Mm -hmm. You understand? There's not a lot of first-hand car people not telling their story. Mm -hmm. Other people telling their story. You have people who don't know Jamaica. is talking about Jamaica history, mm -hmm. right? Second-hand information. You know, there's a lot of that going on. You have some people that would come go to Jamaica and interview the people them, but they didn't do no research and know the truth. So people can't tell them anything. Mm -hmm. You understand? People can't tell them anything because people like big up themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. They like to big up themselves. So they will say anything. And because you don't know as a journalist to say, no, it's not so it's going up. Mm -hmm. You just take it, you record it, and you put it out there in the world. And people believe, say, it's so it go. It don't go like that. Trust me. Right? You have to get first-hand information from the people that actually was there at the time. For sure. I agree with you 100%. That's why I'm happy to sit down with somebody like you, a Dennis Al Capone, that's been there from that before the real inception of DJ, how we know it right now. That's why I'm happy I get to sit down with somebody like you. Tell something better that. Most of us should show you something, but I totally forgot to, to um bring it closer to me. Um, can I just go over and, and pick up a little cup yeah, and bring it. show it to you? Yeah, muscles. I'm gonna show you how how far we're coming from, and DJ wasn't recognized at the time. Yeah, I got DJ of the year 1971 and 72, right? Yeah. And this is the cup. Look at it. This is the cup that they gave me. Yeah. The other thing on the bottom, a, a, a little black bit was on the bottom, but that break off, mm -hmm. right? But look at the size of the cup. That's crazy. This, is, this goes to show you where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. And people did not recognize DJ music at the time because they were giving me um, DJ of the year 71, 72 mm -hmm. by this, this, this um, company called Swing Magazine. It was a magazine mm -hmm. called Swing Magazine. They gave me that as my accolade in those days. So you can see yeah. where the DJ business is coming from. Somebody yeah. had to work on the maca to make the road smoother for others. For you sure. understand? And some people don't give people the, 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 um, the ups or their claim. You know, they just come and believe that, oh, there's some, some mango on the tree. We can pick them. Them don't think about who plant the tree. You get it. Which is very unfortunate. You understand? Mm -hmm. Because there was a lot of people before me and a lot of ones after me. But you see, if you don't give credit where credit is due, mm -hmm. when your time comes to get your credit, no one is going to look at you. You have to set the trend and let people know that you must big up the people and before you that did it before you and then people recognize you right that's all the, that's all the thing go is that it's it's one long chain and we all is a part right we are a link in that chain the dj chain for sure 100 percent till right now because of somebody like you that's why we have like a Vibes Cartel, a Movado, and these artists today. Because of somebody like you, what you did 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah most. That's why I, I commend you for what you're doing, you know. Right? Because you talk to people that 
go on their own journey. Mm-hmm. Right? You have a lot of unsung heroes out there mm-hmm. who nobody hear from them because Jamaica as a um Jamaica as a, a, a way you call it now tons of talent coming through every 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 decade there's tons of talent coming through. Mm-hmm. You understand? And people seem to forget the ones before, you know, in 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 in, in that time, mm-hmm. that those people did something nice. You enjoy the, their work, but as another bunch of artists come, you forget those that was there, and then it go on and on and on until people get pushed way back. Mm-hmm. You understand? But there was always somebody who do the planting. You know, there has to be. There are planters and there are reapers, and a lot of them is. Is mostly reapers. They reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. You understand? So they must recognize. That's why I commend a, a, a artists like Lieutenant Stitchy. Mm-hmm. Anywhere Lieutenant Stitchy see me, you understand? He's giving me my credit. Mm-hmm. You know? Dillinger, Dillinger was my apprentice, you know? Yes. Dillinger was my apprentice on the sound. Trinity. Right? The whole of it come from in one little circle. Kingston 13. Mm-hmm. You know, so when El Paso is playing at night time, Dillinger will come, come over and I will give him the mic and make him DJ. You understand? Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, Dillinger used to call himself Young Al Capone. Yes. Right? He used to call himself Young Al Capone and his scratch, Lee Perry. Lee Perry said to him, um, when he went to record for Lee Perry, Lee Perry said to him, no, you can't name young Al Capone. There's Al Capone already. Mm-hmm. You are Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Lee Perry gave him that name. You understand? Mm-hmm. So, one and watch the other. You know, and we are not here to pull on each other. Right? Mm-hmm. We are here to elevate each other. Let the crowd decide because one DJ of his fun, the other DJ of his fun, and it goes on and on. You understand? Let the crowd decide. Don't pull down other people. That's not nice. Makes sense. You like a king, and he always be a king. You understand? Totally get it. Totally understand. You know what I mean? I got some more of your songs I want to go through here before we get to your UK here. Cassius Clay. How did you come up with that song, and who did you record that for? I recorded that song for Bonnie Lee. Okay. And I'll tell you, Moses, um, Bonnie Lee had a session by Ari J, mm-hmm. right, his session. And we all went there because, like I said, me and Bonnie Lee used to roll. Mm-hmm. We were friends. And I went by, to, to Ari J the, the evening when, while the session was going on. And after Bonnie Lee laid on his track, I said to him, Striker, I have a track I want to make, you know. Mm-hmm. Right? So I said, tell the, tell the musician them on. At the time, I think the, the musician them was Soul Syndicate. Mm-hmm. You know, I said to, to them, um, yeah, I need to, to, to do a track. But, but what I want to do, really, I want to do something similar to Jump Song, Jackie Me Too Jump Song. Mm-hmm. Right? And they start playing, play, playing the rhythm. You know, and the rhythm sounded good. You know, so I said, yes, yes, um, I love that. You know, so after we finished recording that and, and the session was finished, 
Um, Bonnie Lee said to me, Dennis, you, you know, Jojo, them a build a new studio. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, Jojo, that is the Joe Pokemon, um, Pali and them. Those guys used to have um, a bike shop on, on Spanish Town Road. Okay. Right? And they also used to have a, a, a discotheque called Channel One Discotheque. You know, okay. they used so to the studio. So the studio huh? and the sound were owned by the same people. Yes, yes, owned by the same people. They had they had the, the, the disco before for called Channel One. Right? They didn't have no recording studio then. They used to have a big bike shop on Spanish Town Road and then they start the 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 um this little sound system. Mm-hmm. And um Bonnie said to me, um, you know that um Jojo them building a studio, let's go over there and sample it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I so said, why not? So we leave RJ now with the rhythms, went to Channel One and, and Maxwell Avenue. Sid Buckner was the engineer at the time. Mm-hmm. And Bonnie Lee put on the, the tell Sid, Sid Button was put on, put on the, 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 the rhythm. And Delroy Wilson was with us as well. Mm-hmm. And Delroy voiced a, a track called Can I Change My Mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a track that alternately did for Studio One. And um, then when, 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 when Delroy finished record, Striker said, you, you're going to record your track on Capone? I said, yeah, why not? Tell, tell him Sid must put it on. And he put on my rhythm that I made. I made that rhythm, not Bonnelly. I made it. It's Bonnelly rhythm and Bonnelly session, but I made it. Okay. Like a Bonnelly did finish his session. Anyway, I went around the mic and I just, because those days, you know, you, you, you feel the vibes, you know. You understand? A certain rhythms. Certain rhythms give you a certain vibes. Mm-hmm. So when the rhythm starts, I just start, um, coming from the top of the mountain, the man called Cassius Clay's back again. You know, bobbing and weaving and moving away. The brother called Cassius Clay's the order of the day. So, if you want to see some good exhibition, you got to see the brother called Cassius Clay in action. Wawa, jiwawa, boom, 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 jiwawa, jiwawa. Do you think I'm me see you swing? Brother, come on down and do your thing. And the rhythm I drop. Everweight champion of the world. Man called Cassius Clay is coming back to retain his title. So move away, George Foreman, move away. While the brother called Cassius Clay come your way. Wawa, jiwawa. Jiwawa, jiwo. Yeah, that's how that song was banned. <laughs> Muscles. Big, big, big song. What did that song do for your career at that time there? That was a big tune in England. Mm-hmm. Very big tune in England. You know, it didn't do a lot in, in Jamaica, but it did good in England. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just another Dennis Alcapone track in Jamaica, but it was a big track in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the reason for that is um, this this was a prediction to, to the Mohammed Ali fight with, with, with George Foreman in, in Africa, right? I tell him that Cassius Clay is coming back to retain his, strike, his title. Mm-hmm. Right, because I was a Cassius Clay man at the time. You know, I just loved that boxer. Mm-hmm. And until later on, as you know, it changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Right. But when Clay came out, right, to fight Sonny Liston, I tell everybody around me, 
Cassius Clay is going to beat Sonny Liston. Right? I just admire that boxer. And I told him, Cassius, they, they laugh at me and say, no way, because Liston beat everybody. Liston even thumped down Cowan and all the things, right? <laughs> I said, no, Cassius Clay is coming to beat Sonny Liston. And he did. First big fight, Cassius Clay conquer okay. Sonny Liston. Yeah. Big, big, big. All right. So then now you said, okay, you did all of this work. You amassed a big amount of songs in Jamaica. Your first time in the UK was what year you said was the first time you went to the UK? 1973. Okay. So then 73 was the first time you went to the UK. When did So then between 73, when did you decide to actually move to the UK? Well, after 73, I went back down to Jamaica. I had a bike accident. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky to be alive because um, I've seen what happened to Tiger. Mm -hmm. A similar thing happened to me, mm -hmm. right? I was riding on Mullines Road, and this guy came up from a side road, and I ran right into to, to his side. Mm -hmm. You know, so I went to University Hospital, no, I want to tell you something, mostly, you know something? Mm -hmm. This man was wrong, you know, right? This man was wrong. And because I was I was traveling on Mullines Road, he was coming off another road to go across the road, and I was going around a bus at the time. Mm -hmm. The bus man stopped and called him out, you know, so I just run right in the, in the side of the van. Lick out my teeth, then. Mm -hmm. my, 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 my chin has dropped down. You know the man came go. He came me go straight to hospital after three police station. <laughs> he said the man came to hospital. Yeah. Wow. And when him go into the station with me, the the, the, um, the, the police them said to him, "Where care the man go? You know, so the man a bleed, but care the man go hospital. Mm -hmm. You understand? And he saw him carry me to to a doctor nearby on Maxwell Avenue, and actually leave me. Hmm. You understand? Leave me at this place. And the people then now get me to, 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 to UC. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they patch me up at UC. And by this time, my tongue, my tongue was, was, was totally mashed up. Right? And um, I was drinking out of straw for, for about two weeks. Hmm. You understand? But God is good and God is great. You know? I recovered, and this was 73, and then I, I, I came up on the, the, the showcase 1974, as I said to you, with Dennis Brown and Sly and Skin, Flesh and Bone and Metals, and a lot of us came up. Mm -hmm. And from then now, that's when I met my wife, and she didn't want me to go back to Jamaica, you know? And... um. We got married in 76, mm -hmm. and then um, I was here from then. You know, I go back to Jamaica on a yearly basis, but most of the time I spend in England. Okay, because I know at the time when you permanently left from Jamaica and moved to the UK, you were still doing a bit of recording, but your career had slowed down a lot from that time. There. Like you took, a, you took a break at one point. Yes, because what really happened now, the company that I was putting out our records, you know, um, it, 
they got liquidate, liquidated. It was Trojan Records, mm -hmm. you know, and they got liquidated. And the, the music it kind of put on hold because there was no one distributing the music. And um, this company, this man named Marcel Rad by the company, mm. and he wasn't doing nothing with, with, with the, the, the catalog of music either. Mm. And he sold the company to this Ital Italian man named Colin Newman, mm. who started to um, distribute his summer record again, you know. And then we started... Um, touring because we were in demand again because the record was going out to, to Europe and other places, you know, but most of we get robbed left, left, right and center by these people. We, we get total exploited. So there's a lot of exploitation going on because Colin, Colin Newman bought um, children for 85,000 mm -hmm. and sold it to, to Santiago Records for 10.2 million. We, the artists, don't get nothing. You understand? This man that sold the company mm -hmm. and get 10.8 million for it didn't give us a dime. This Italian man didn't give us a dime. He don't know Jamaica. He don't know how inside our studio in Jamaica look. And he sold us down the river. But right now we are... We, we are... We are... We are, we are um, doing some work to get back some money. We have some people on the case at the moment, mm -hmm. you know, but show business, music business, not a easy business. No, and it's been, I guess, outside of performing, that's been your saving grace was performing where nobody could touch that money there. That's your money. So then that's what saved you. Because when it came to the recording, that was a totally different story altogether. Yeah, but you see, I, I tell you something, mostly. You see, people are devious, you know. Mm -hmm. People don't think about others, you know. They just think about themselves. Mm -hmm. You understand? They don't think that we have to eat. We have to We have to um, pay bills. Mm -hmm. Nothing. We're we not supposed to have nothing. They're, they're alone supposed to live. Mm -hmm. Selfish. Very selfish people, you know. It's 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 crazy, especially now that we're sitting down speaking to a lot of these people. Now you really hear what happened behind the scene. One question I never really ask anybody. You're going to be the first I get to ask now. I know producers did foolishness. You got into the issue with you and um you and Studio One and stuff like. But you as an artist now, was there any time in your career where I don't know? Because clearly there was no internet around. Was there any book that you could you could figure out the business, somebody else you could ask about the business so you could become a better person in the business? Yes, I've got someone in my car at the moment, mm -hmm. right, that's actually taking these guys to, to court. If they don't want to cooperate, mm -hmm. um, my, 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 my team is going to take them to court mm -hmm. to get our reward. Mm -hmm. what was due to us in the first place mm -hmm. you know so hopefully that will materialize and everybody else that that got robbed in, in the early stage of their life mm -hmm. because is we have a lot of people on board at the moment you know people that has been exploited you know it, he recovers some some monies already and some people get some money mm -hmm. right 
but he's, he's going for, for for all of them because now Santiago sell out their, their share to to Universal. Mm-hmm. Universal sell out their their, their um, catalog to BMG. So BMG is where it's at at the moment. BMG's got the the, the, the chosen catalog at the moment. Okay. Right. But the thing is, BMG bought an illegal company. You understand? Because what they were doing all along was illegal. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't sign no contract with them. They they they, they took the, the, the materials from the producers. Mm-hmm. The producers them in Jamaica, them come here, sell out our records, mm-hmm. get what they, 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 they get and go back to Jamaica. When they come back down, they don't give us nothing. We don't know what is going on. You understand? So as long as their pot was on fire, everything is all right. Nobody else pot supposed to go on fire. You have a lot of artists now in Jamaica that have kids, mm-hmm. and the the kids is not getting nothing from their their their, um, their father estate because other people is robbing them, other people is exploiting them, and wouldn't give them something. All they give them is nothing. Because you would think with like a catalog like what you have, especially over a hundred singles, how many albums do you have? Twelve. Twelve albums, a hundred singles, and all of these stuff here. That at this stage in your career, you'd be you'd be pretty decent right now with the publishing royalties, whatever else comes from the back end. You would figure at this point in your career, you'd be all right from that. And performance would be something that you would do occasionally you don't have to really do it that's not really your thing to get the income i'll tell you something muscles mm-hmm. when i came here 1974 mm-hmm. um I, I went to a show in a place called reading i was not actually performing that night dennis brown and and slider was performing and metals were performing the night so i decided to accompany them there because we were one group together so I went to the show and I, I I decided to sit in the audience, right, and watch the show. A couple of guys that was there, some some white kids saw me, and one of them said to his his friend, "That's Dennis Al Capone." The friend said, "Nah." So anyway, when the, the concert finished and we were going outside, I was walking towards the car that took me. Um. The car at the time was a, a, a car called car, 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 Cartina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a Cartina, a Ford car. So while we were driving out of that um, venue car park, we see the same set of youths them again, and the, 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 the little youth said to their in friend, there's Dennis Alcapone in that car. Mm-hmm. So the one said to him, I tell you, that's not Dennis Alcapone. Dennis Alcapone will be driving in a Cartina. That is telling you something. Mm. You understand? You may expect to see me driving a Rolls Royce or a Bentley, right? Well, look at him know that Dennis Alcapone was making them kind of money. Mm-hmm. You know, because I came on the, 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 the TV, when I came up in 1973, I came on the, the, the BBC Two TV, mm-hmm. you know, along with Pioneers, Nicky Thomas, um, and, and the Marvels, mm-hmm. you know. So people see you now on TV, they believe that you got loads of money. Mm-hmm. Little did they know 
that we just about could find food to eat. It's 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 been a very interesting ride in this business to see what really happens behind the scenes. And these are some massive songs that people still play and enjoy to this day. You understand? To this day. Listen, Muscles, I've, I've got a song now playing for 30 years in Jamaica every Sunday called Teach the Children. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's the introduction for a program they call Teacher's Time. Mm-hmm. It's playing in Jamaica for 30 years every Sunday, and I don't get a dime from it. You understand? When I went to, to Jamaica, I went to RGR mm-hmm. and asked them, how comes no revenue is not coming from my record? You know, I went to the, the publishing company in Jamaica called J-Cap. Mm-hmm. And I said, asked J-Cap, what happened to my royalties? You guys down here collecting royalties. Mm-hmm. Them said, no. I have to ask my my um, publishers in England. Right? I must I must talk to PRS in England mm-hmm. because that's the one I joined. You know, when I go to PRS, PRS said they get no money from Jamaica. So, I don't know. I engage a liar from Jamaica, a lady, liar. No, we no fee liar. And she told me that I've got a case. You know, and because performing rights, you know, as long as your song play on the radio, you know, that's perform performing rights. Yes. That's a performance. Mm-hmm. Right? So RJ I suppose we're paying me from thirty years ago. The lady I left her in, in, in um, Jamaica now to deal with that. Mm-hmm. When I spoke to her the next time, she said she's still look, look, looking into it. Then the next time she tell me, oh, RGR says it's a government program. So they, they, they don't pay for government program. So they use my record, teach the children, mm-hmm. for 30, 30 odd years, and I don't get a dime. We're still working on that at the moment because to me, that's totally wrong. I, I agree with that for sure. Even if it's something where they, they worked out a one-time lump sum payment and they just bought you out and said, okay, because this is for government, we're just going to give you this one-time payment and we'll never see you again. At least that, not just nothing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, give me something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You've been using my stuff. Mm-hmm. You see the same record, you, 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 um, you mentioned earlier Cassius Clay. Mm-hmm. The BBC used Cassius Clay in, in, in a documentary with Muhammad Ali. Right? Mm-hmm. My publisher at the time was a, a, a publishing company, company called Flow Soul Music. Mm-hmm. And the publisher called me, very excited, and told me that BBC wanted to use Cassius Clay in the Muhammad Ali documentary. Mm-hmm. And he was really happy. So there's supposed to be money there for me, right? That um, he was a solicitor as well. Mm-hmm. Next thing I hear, he hung himself. You understand? No money coming from that. Up to today, I don't get a dime. And they use Cassius Clay in, in the Mohammed Ali docu- documentary. I, do, I didn't even get credit. They gave me no credit. This is crazy, you understand? Boss. So, this business is not a nice business. Mm-hmm. That's why they said there's no business like show business. 
<laughs> they weren't they weren't lying because again you would expect that things wouldn't be like this especially in 2021 okay we understand in the early part i i explained this to somebody already i think producers and artists didn't know what was going on but i think at one point now producers started to learn the game and didn't tell the artist what was going on. So you figured fast forward now to 2021, everything from back then would be worked out, but it's still not being worked out, boss. Well, they are all in bed together, you know, producers and 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 the, the, the big companies, you know, because for as long as the producer get his share, you know, you don't this is about nobody else. Mm -hmm. You understand? Mm -hmm. And that's how they, they operate. I remember when I was coming to, to England 1973. Mm -hmm. I was at my home in Pembroke. I was living in Pembroke at the time. Mm -hmm. I was at my home and Bonnelly came there. And he said to me, Dennis, like we're going to England. You're supposed to work with the LP, you know, work with the music so you can do look hustling. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you, you can't just go to go to show, show money alone, can mm -hmm. build up your thing, carry album with you so you can sell it. We say, all right, that sounds reasonable. Some say, let's go and buy King Tobis and record the album. Mm -hmm. And Muscles, I went with him the day to Tobis and we record that album in less than two hours. <laughs> right? Yeah. When I finished doing doing the album, I said to him, So striker, where's the tape? Because I'm leaving the Monday for England. Mm -hmm. He said, but he must mix, he must mix it. He must mix, mix it, he must mix it. And him coming up next week, he will carry the tape. Most of us are in England for six weeks, no bonnily. Right? Mm -hmm. When I went back to Jamaica, Bonnelly came up to England, sold the album, and don't give me a dime, not even a drink. You understand? That album supposed to be me and him album. Mm -hmm. Which album right. are we speaking about here? Huh? Which album are we speaking about here? It's called King of the Shark. Mm -hmm. King of the Shark. He sold it to a company over here called Magnet. Mm -hmm. Right? Not a dime. Him come back to Jamaica. But you, you know, those guys just believe to them clever. You know, they find those things as joke. You understand? But as Brother Nancy said, what is joke to you is dead to him. Mm -hmm. You know, what they take us for granted. You understand? They, they expect us to live on water and bread or nothing at all. And especially from somebody that's supposed to be your friend that you guys are hanging out and doing all this stuff here. You would expect exactly. something a bit better than that. Exactly. They're not friend, friend of me. You understand? No friend at all. Because you don't treat your friend like that. Mm -hmm. But that's how there was. Mm -hmm. You know, but in life you live and learn. Yeah. Muscles, you live and learn. You understand? And every day is a learning learning process for me. With human being. Human beings are not nice things them. Mm -hmm. You understand? No care how you think say so you and them good. Yeah. You later on you get a rude awakening. You know, so it's a minefield, Virgin. We're going through a minefield and a battlefield, you know. But we give thanks to life, you know. You understand. Because when you really, when you check it, mm -hmm. a lot of people are run down wealth mm -hmm. and now watch them melt. Because all of them who have me gone, you know. Mm 
Mm-hmm. All of them who rob my gun and them can't carry nothing with them. You understand? All of the money other people have spent it. Mm-hmm. The money where them rob from me, other people have spent it because they're under the ground. The whole of them where you me mentioned, the Bonnelly, the Cox, and the Joe Creed, the Joe Gibbs, mm-hmm. you name them, they're under the ground. And them didn't carry nothing with them. You know, so it goes to show how great God is. God now sleep, virgin. He might watch everything. But I prefer long life and good health than wealth. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. And that's why I'm so glad I get to have these conversations with people like you that's, that's been in the business and really understands it for what it really is. You understand? <sighs> yeah, I got... Man, I listen to a lot of your interviews, you know, with people, you know, and I hear most of them have a similar story up to today. We are in a 2021 now, and the same thing is going on. People are getting robbed in Jamaica, left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, if it wasn't for live performance, mm-hmm. I don't know what people would do because the, the, the so-called producers, them, mm-hmm. them not good brethren, them all for themselves. Them not look out. Them not think well enough. The artists have kids and grandkids mm-hmm. that need money to live. No, them things said them alone for have everything, and it's still going on today, which is very unfortunate. It doesn't doesn't make sense at all. But make no sense. Make no sense. Yeah, but you're one of the smart ones that actually has lawyers and have certain things in place to try to at least recoup something. So even if it's not for you, it's going to be for people after you pass on or something, because out of all of that work, you deserve something, boss, not nothing, something. Yeah, man, I hope I see the plant, you know, mm-hmm. and not reap nothing. Mm-hmm. You understand? The reapers, them is out there. The reapers, them mm-hmm. so-called reapers, reapers, mm-hmm. so we call them, them reap the music. Mm-hmm. You understand? You hear them get up every day on a ball. Oh, this a race wicked and that a race a wicked. And they want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They are doing the same thing, exploiting mm-hmm. their brethren, their families. You understand? Human being, some of them, no good. Trust me. I hear you, boss. I got a couple more questions before I get you out of here, but I'm so glad that we got to cover that part, especially coming from somebody like you that's been around so long. I just wanted to hear what your experiences was dealing with a lot of producers and the industry on a whole. Yeah, man, that's why I say I commend you for what you're doing, you know, because people need to tell their story. Mm-hmm. You understand? People need to tell their story. And a lot of people, story that I I, I hear, you know, um, I shiver, mm-hmm. you know, but I know it's reality. Yeah. Because I've been there, done that, and wear a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. The other day, I hear you was talking to Ronid. Yeah. And believe you me, I was glued to the TV, listening to, to his mm-hmm. um, journey. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I even hear that he, he at, at, when he mentioned that um, we, we, we meet up in Austria. Yes. I think this was about 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? That showcase that um, we were on, he said that um, King Stitch mm-hmm. was on it. He said that ranking Trevor was on it. Um, well, I would correct it here, um, Ronin. Ranking Trevor wasn't there. Neither was King Stitch. Mm-hmm. 
it was Just Stitch, not King Stitch. Just Stitch mm-hmm. and Ranking Joe, not Ranking Trevor. Okay. Right? That's just a, a correction. And um, the veterans that was there at the time was Johnny Clark, myself, Just Stitch, and um, I think it was, who was it? There was another veteran there. But I, I won't commit myself at the time. But but it wasn't King Stitch. It was Just Stitch. And it was Rankin Trevor. It was Rankin Joe. Got you. Right? That that showcase had um, a lot of young artists on it. Merciless was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Monster Shack crew, your crew. Um, Lady Saw was there. Mm-hmm. Louis Culture was there. Anthony B was there. Um, Baldwin was the was the compere, and um, it's quite a few of us was there mixing with the with with, with, the, with the young group, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but um, just a little correction, and that was a very good interview, Ronan. I commend you for that too, because you were you were talking from your heart, you were talking about your journey and how you help people along the journey, right? So. Kudos to you, brethren. Definitely. Talking about performances here. I know in 1995, you went to Jamaica after I think it was 20 years and you performed on the Heineken start time. What was that like after so long of not being in Jamaica? Yeah, that um, trip to Jamaica back after 20 years, man, that was something else. You know, that was, that was my greatest moment. Mm -hmm. That was definitely my greatest moment in, in, in the music industry because being away from Jamaica, mm-hmm. um, not performing there for 20 years, when I went back, I a tear fell. Mm-hmm. You understand? Because what really happened, when I go back to Jamaica, my brother used to come to the airport and meet me mm-hmm. every time I go to Jamaica. And when me and him, I make four, there's always a big smile on his face to see me. Now, he, he passed away. And I was thinking to myself, oh, am I going to go back to Jamaica and not see my brother? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I would feel, you know, even though I was going there to do the Kids Star Time. But when I reached Naman Manley Airport, um, someone came for me and took me around to the the, the, um, the tourist section, and I saw this big writing on the wall: "Welcome to Jamaica, Dennis Al Capone." Mm. Right, that touched me, mm-hmm. really touched me. I, I still got the um, I still got a picture somewhere in my house here, right? That um, one of my friends that was traveling with me took there that picture with it. That now was something else, you know, that made me feel so good. That 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 helped to heal the wound with not seeing my brother there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when we went um to to that show, the the, the welcome was was really marvelous. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I left Jamaica and I, mm-hmm. you know, and the people were so glad to see me. I was I was taken back. And like I say, a tear fell. For sure. And I, I felt the Jamaican vibes, the real Jamaican vibes. You know, because I've been 
out of the island for so long, performing all over the world, Europe, Brazil, America, you know, Japan, um, you name it. You, you know, I even went to, to, to um, Bosnia, where that um, ethnic cleansing was going on just after the war finished. Me and Max Romeo was on that tour, right? So even the people that was asking us if we wasn't scared to come to Bosnia, knowing that the war was going on, you know, the war had just finished anyway. But, you know, it, it was still fresh in the people's memory. And they were saying to me, um, and Maxi, weren't you guys scared to come here? We said, no. It's love we're dealing with our music. You know, we don't business with people who are. You know, we are here to entertain the people them. You know, so that was it. Moses. You know, but Heineken Star Time was my greatest moment in, in, in my journey, you know, to go back to Jamaica after 20 years and perform. I'm glad Michael Barnett was, was, was the, the promoter for the show. Mm -hmm. Good. I'm glad we got it in. A little birdie once told me something about um Bob Marley being at one of your shows. Could you explain that to me? Well, yes. Um when I when I came up 1974 to do the showcase, you have a big, big producer over here called Admiral Ken. Mm -hmm. He put on big shows all the while in England. And he select me and Dennis Brown from the Jamaica Showcase and put us with Desmond Decker, the three Ds, mm -hmm. right? And the night at, at um, Empire Ballroom, Bob Marley came to the show. Bob Marley and um, Family Man and Carly, his brother, came to the show. And I actually called Bob Marley onto the stage and introduced him to the crowd, you know? I'll send you that picture also so you can see it. I still got the picture. But I was a star at the time. So the, 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 the photographer took me frontal and Bob Marley back way. But anybody who know gang know that that is gang. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yeah, that was a, a, a great moment. And he had just done the Catch a Fire album. Mm -hmm. And Island was promoting him. Mm -hmm. Right? So that I was a little part of that promotion by calling him and introduce him to the crowd, and the crowd acknowledge him. Yes, wonderful moment. Crazy. So he wasn't the big, massive Bob Marley as we knew yet at that time. Then. No, 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 no. No, he wasn't the big bad Bob at the time. Mm -hmm. Because in hindsight, if, if I know how big Bob, Bob was going to get, I would take several pictures with him. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but me and Dennis Brown and, and this man, they was a star for that night. Mm. You know, but Dennis Brown is, is, is his favorite artist, you know. It's him um, called Dennis Brown, Crown Prince of Reggae. Okay. So knowing that Dennis Brown was performing the night, he, he, he made it his point of Judith to come and, and, and watch the show. Yeah. That's amazing, amazing, amazing there. I got two two questions before I get you out of here. With even Uroy, because again, it was neck and neck, you and Uroy. Was there any time that you and Uroy sat down, this could have been years later, and had a conversation about that situation that was going on back then? No, but to be honest with you, you know, Muscle, Uroy is a great man. Mm -hmm. But Uroy wasn't such a sociable person, you know. Mm -hmm. You understand? Uroy wants to keep himself to himself. 
or to him close surroundings. Because you right, me and you right do the show over here, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I will send you a, a, a poster with, with that as well. Me and you right did, did um, two shows, one in London and one in um, Birmingham. Mm-hmm. We reason, but you right is not a man of many words that way. You understand? Him don't open up that way. Mm-hmm. You know, as a man more is more reserved. Mm-hmm. And in the last part, now Uri had the diabetes, and that was a worry to him as well. You know, because I remember he called me one morning and said to me, Where is the producer? Because the producer is supposed to bring some food to the hotel and give him, mm-hmm. knowing that he's diabetic and he's got to eat on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And the promoter didn't turn up at the hotel. And he was really cursing about that, you know. But later on, they linked up and him get him, him, him thing, him food, you know. But mm-hmm. Uri wasn't the man to really um, sit in a group of people and hold a conversation. He, he wasn't like that. Okay. Just, you know, one so? Just one of those things you understand. All right. Yes. You showed me, you showed me your award that you won for DJ of the Year. Tell me two other big awards that you remember that you hold dearly to your heart that you won throughout your career. <laughs> I got, I got. <laughs> also, can I just turn the camera when I show you something? For sure. Let's go. All right. This is this is my wall of fame. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen I got the Prime Minister's Award for contribution to music. Mm-hmm. Jamaica music. Good. Yeah, con- the contribution to Jamaica music. Mm-hmm. That was a very proud moment of, of my life as well, you know? Yeah. Because you know that you help lay many bricks of foundation, say that everybody else could come build upon. You were part of the foundation there. That's it. I'm a part of the foundation, you know. I, I help work on the marker to make the road smooth mm-hmm. so that everybody else that come can get a good ride. Sure. You know, but they must um, acknowledge that there was someone there. There was a builder, mm-hmm. you know, and give the builder them the credit that, that, that is due to them and don't believe that it all belongs to you. You understand? You understand 100%. Uh, and like I said to you, I come in a man like Lieutenant Stitchy because anywhere that man see me, you know, he give me um, the, the credit that, that that I really deserve. You know, a, a lot of them is just swelled it and don't care about other people. Mm-hmm. As I said, they are reapers; they are not planters. Mm-hmm. It's crazy! Wow, Mister Al Capone, this has been an epic, epic, great conversation. Just to see a little glimpse into your life. It's been amazing. One thing I'm going to ask you for, even before that, are you on social media or anything where people could check out any of your music? Yeah, man, I'm always on social media. You know. I'm on IG, 
I'm on Facebook, I'm on WhatsApp. You know, just Dennis Alcapone all the way. If you want to find me on any of these medias, just um, type in Dennis Alcapone. And you'll find you right there. Uh, mo- muscle, another thing I must tell you about a, a, a Brazilian Dennis Alcapone. Right. <laughs> there's a there's a one in, in, in Brazil at the moment, um parading as Dennis Al Capone, you know. He even got his videos on, on YouTube. Oh man. And what he what he's using to validate himself is that whenever any big artist come to Brazil, he takes picture with them. <laughs> yeah, you must look you must look on YouTube one at a time and you, you you'll see him. Mm-hmm. You know. And I, I'm sure you believe that him is Dennis Alcapone. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's a next in this business, boss. Yeah. Holy smokes. As I say, before I get you out of here, one song that I want from you before we get you out of here is a Wasa El Paso. One time El Paso, one time. Two time El Paso, two time. Three time El Paso, three time. Four time El Paso, four time. Awaso, El Paso, El Paso, Awaso. Mosquito one, mosquito two, mosquito jumping at Kalaloo. Tell it to you. Yay, scrub it. I'm on top of the world. If you want me, come and get me. Uh-uh. <laughs> Mr. Al Capone, listen, this conversation, epic conversation. Thank you so very much for sitting down with me today and talking about your journey in the entertainment business. It's a pleasure. It's a great pleasure. Keep up the good work, muscles. Your work is very good, and it's knowledge all over the world. All right? More blessings to you and your family. Thank you. Big up to you. Big up to the wife and big up everybody. Thank you so very much. Let me give you an outro and get you out of here. All right? Give thanks. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com.